Greetings, everyone. You're listening to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm the Reverend Mary Vano, and today we're going to have some fun with the Reverend Marna Franson. The first time that I worked with Marna, she and I were teamed up to lead a week of summer camp. Marna designed the whole experience around this fabulous Dr. Seuss theme. It was so much fun. Do you remember this, Marna? I do remember it. I remember that my kids talked me into it and they said, oh, mom, you really should be session director at Camp Mitchell and this will be really fun and we can do Dr. Seuss. We love Dr. Seuss. And I knew nothing about doing camp. And I thought, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? But once we got to camp and there was all the support staff, you were there, everybody was there. I didn't have to cook food for a week and we got to play with each other. And Dr. Seuss's books are soulful and fun at the same time. I mean, who doesn't love a truffle a tree, right? It was really fun. The other thing I have a very strong memory about is going home from camp and sitting on my couch for a minute after we had gotten everything in the house and not even having enough energy to order pizza. I was so tired. Holy exhaustion. That's what that was. It was was wonderful and so exhausting. Marna, your kids are so smart and wonderful (laughs) and they were so right. Absolutely. That was a great camp. Now, every time I think of Dr. Seuss, I think of Marna. (laughs) Since that time, Marna has been to seminary and is now the vicar of St. Nicholas Episcopal Church in Maumelle. She has also been trained as a life coach, and she calls her business Play Genius Coaching and Consultation. I love that name. You are a play genius with children and with adults. So thinking about Marna and preparing for this conversation, another Dr. Seuss quote came to my mind. In Oh, the Places You'll Go, Seuss writes, Whenever you step, step with care and great tact, and remember that life's a great balancing act. Marna, it seems to me that the pandemic has thrown a lot of us off whatever balance in life that we may have had. More of us are working from home, blurring the lines between work and family. Many of our normal recreational activities are just not available to us. We haven't even been able to gather in church to get the spiritual nourishment that we need. What do you see happening to people as we lose the routines that we had before this started? That's a great question, Mary, because it really is we're addicted and supported by our routines. And I think a couple of things are happening. The first thing that I think is happening that's hard for people is that when we step out of our houses to do something that is not home related, we not only step into the activity, but we step into that person that we are, the role that we are. So when we leave our house to go to work, we step into our work persona. And when we step out of our house to go to church, or we go out to go to our volunteer activity, or we go play with the grandchildren, we step into those different personas. And the problem is everything is at home. So although we may be doing those things from home, we don't have a chance to step into those other personas. So we get exhausted by our own selves because we don't get to really play with and be in these other roles. Or we have to have those roles stick on top of one another. We're having a Zoom meeting for work and a child drops the glass in the kitchen and it shatters. Or we want to see our grandchildren and we can't touch them. It's very difficult. So I think that's like a subtle pressure, a subtle sort of Chinese water torture thing that's happening. I think the other thing that's happening is that we really haven't trained ourselves to watch the stories that we're telling ourselves about ourselves. So 
Martha Beck, who I trained under, had this great concept of the difference between clean pain and dirty pain. So clean pain is something that's happening. With the pandemic, it's awful, it's hard. Sometimes if we lose our job, whatever is happening is the clean pain. It's true, we grieve it. But the dirty pain is the stories we tell ourselves about what's happening that add to the problem. I'll give you a perfect example from my life. In my house, when I look out my bedroom door, I see the hamper in the hallway and my kids are in charge of their laundry. Well, when the hamper gets really, really full and I'm promising myself not to bug my teenage boys about that they don't have any clean clothes, <laughs> saying I'm not going to bug them, I'm not going to bug them. Like when I'm awake and I'm good and I've got energy, everything's fine. The hamper doesn't bother me. But when I'm tired and worn down, like we are with the pandemic, that hamper has become not only the fact that A, they don't have clothes to wear, B, they're not doing it, but more importantly, Importantly, the dirty pain is I'm a bad mother. I should have taught them responsibility. A good mother would have known how to train their children. And then worse, they'll never have partnerships in their life because they're always going to be slobs. And so instead of just getting frustrated by the, the laundry and saying, hey, I'm frustrated by the laundry. Could you do it? I get into this whole thing about oh, they'll die and they'll be alone. And I think that we do that a lot during this pandemic is that we move out of the moment of how hard it is and we start thinking it's going to mean other things. And then our minds just go down the road. It just compounds. Yes. I think we have a hard time accepting that often we're just doing the best we can. Absolutely. We have mm -hmm. to be gentle with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jane Wolfe, my spiritual director, says we only get a C, like we aim for a C. God doesn't give more than C's. We don't get more than C's. So <laughs> stop trying to get an A, right? Oh, goodness. That reminds me when I was in seminary for a short time, when we first started, the seminary had redesigned its curriculum and they had decided that they would not give grades. It would be pass-fail and maybe an honors. Occasionally, one could earn an honors grade. And I just could not help myself but obsess over how can I get an honors grade? Because uh -huh. pass is just not good enough. That was hard for me. But I think that during this pandemic, we really ought to just be worried about passing. <laughs> passing. And see, that's the difference between you and me, Mary, because in seminary, when I went back for my Anglican studies, you know, so I could be a priest, I immediately looked up how many pass fails I was allowed. And I took all of them because I know the tendency inside of me is mm -hmm. to feel like I have to get an A and that if I don't mm -hmm. get an A, then mm -hmm. I'm failing. I want as often in life to take that off of my plate as I can. It's not that's our right. fault. It's the society that's structured and raised us this way. It's not our mm -hmm. fault. So let's not make some dirty pain about the fact that we do it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we do it. Let's just try not to. So if there's clean and there's dirty pain, it sounds like we're kind of in control of the dirty pain if oh, we yeah, stop dirty... and think about it. Like that's something we can change. Absolutely. I can't change the fact that there's a pandemic going on, but I can, if I have a little self-awareness, right. change the story I'm telling to myself about what's going on. Yeah, the trick is catching the thought. And when you can catch it, then you can do something about it. But it's often like this little in the back of your mind and you don't really know. The trick is catching the thought. And if you can make it a hobby to catch your thoughts rather than a have to do, huh, I wonder what weird thoughts I'm thinking today that make me unhappy rather than <laughs> what are the thoughts today that are making me unhappy? I better change them. No, 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 no. It's like, I wonder how I'm contributing to my happiness or unhappiness. God's thoughts are never dirty thoughts. 
I have searched you and loved you. You are my beloved. Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Those are God's thoughts, right? And we have those. We just access them better when we're not beating up on ourselves. It seems that a crisis always brings an opportunity. And the pandemic may actually be giving us an opportunity to work toward a better life balance than we might have had before. Because a lot of us were out of balance already before this happened. So maybe right now we can just stop because life's a mess and take a moment to evaluate what is really important in our lives and how we can prioritize what is important. in general, and of course this is probably different for different people, but in general it seems there are some essential pieces that most people need in order to thrive. What do you think those are? Well, I like to think, I love that question. I wish, how come my teenage sons are not asking me that question? Like, why aren't they (laughs) knocking on my bedroom door when I'm not looking at their laundry and saying, Tom, tell me the secrets of life, because I want to know. Let's figure that one out on another podcast. Yeah, teenagers are different podcasts in general. (laughs) You find an expert on raising teenage boys and then invite me to listen, please. Okay, I'll work on that. Okay, thank <laughs> I think of what you're asking about is really self-care. I think of self-care in terms of scaffolding. So I think of building a framework that will support in the long term. Three things I think of. First, simplicity. Am I feeding my body healthy food? Am I getting outside? Am I drinking a lot of water? Is there time for my brain to be quiet? Is there time for my body to move? If I don't take care of body and mind first, then there's nothing else. So simple. Don't live on Cheetos. Don't always veg on Netflix 100 hours a day. Get your feet bare and put it on the grass for five minutes. Take in some fresh air. That kind of thing is really essential. It's amazing how that bedrock will help. The second thing I think about is community and relationships. Working on our community and our relationships. We have to do this physical distancing. And I love how people are getting away from the term social distancing because social distancing isn't the way that we're built. We are built to be communal. Adam didn't live in the garden for very long. You know, Not we, good for a man to be alone, right? It is mm-hmm. not good for man to be alone. So how is our community? And if our relationships aren't working... If we need to give time to our relationships and build our community. And yesterday I had an interesting conversation in a support group. We have a caregiver support group. And this one woman said, I don't want to bother anybody. My problems are so minuscule compared to what's going on in the world. I said, no, when we reach out to someone else, when we're hurting, when we reach out to someone else, when we don't feel like we've got it together, we're inviting someone else into our love, into our life. And it's an invitation for relationship. I think that's, so number one is if my body and mind is healthy. Number two is, am I working on my relationships? Relationships are more important than anything else that I do or get accomplished. And then number three for self-care is what is, because I'm the fun goddess, remember, I love Mm -hmm. fun, is what 
is tickling my fancy? What's my curiosity? What do I do that gets me into the zone? Like, is it coloring? Is it like you inventing a podcast? Is it writing a new curricula for my Play Genius coaching? What is it? For one of my sons, he is obsessed with disc golf, obsessed. <laughs> I am feeding that obsession as much as possible. I've even got him doing a little job around the house so that I have an excuse to buy him extra discs. I'm not going to just give him extra discs because I'm not going to do that. But I do have things I need him to do. And if you do it, I'll get So what I really believe in obsessions, joyful, healthy obsessions. I was talking to somebody the other day and he loves escape rooms, designing escape rooms. And I'm like, okay, that's where you need to spend your time is designing escape rooms during this pandemic. And he's like, oh, that would make me feel so much. I'm like, yeah, do it. I love that you bring play and fun into it because why else are we here but to have joy, <laughs> right? Joy is also the litmus test. And I'm not talking about happiness and feeling good. When I talk about joy, I'm talking about, because sometimes when we do what is, brings us joy, it's hard work. Like I know that you do that needle point and it is tedious, hard stuff. But all of you ladies that do that, I can see the joy in the accomplishment. And so joy is something that it's, you feel really connected to a clear stream, like clear mountain stream, even though it may be hard to do. I think when I'm engaged in something that is both a kind of work for me, but also a joy for me, one thing that allows me to do is to let go of everything else. Because exactly. when I'm engaged on that level, then I can't at the same time worry about the laundry. Or the pandemic. Or the or pandemic. Yeah. You can't worry about it. I'm sorry. I'm too busy coloring my sheet right now. What do you, you want dinner? I'm sorry. I'm coloring right now. Like you really? Okay. And I would say that sometimes people don't get that, put that boundary up and say, uh-uh, uh, -uh mm -mm, I'm doing my obsession here. And what you have for me is really not that important to me. This is important to do my obsession right now. And a lot of times we fail to give ourselves permission to do those things that may seem frivolous, but are actually really life-giving for us. Absolutely. Talk to me about tie-dye. Talk to me about hula hooping. We'll just go there sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what should a person do if they find that they're missing one of these essential pieces? You've talked about taking care of the simple basics. You've talked about being mind and body connected. Then you talked about community, their social relationships, and then the fun. What should a person do if they're missing a piece of that? First of all, we're not going to beat up on ourselves. So number one, if you're missing a part of yourself, uh-uh. I think what you're describing, Mary, is a sense of being stuck. Because what I describe is really what people do that are kind of moving along healthily in their lives. Nothing that I've said is life-shattering or new information, right? But I'm going to tell you my trick. It's going to sound crazy. Clean your house. Sort through your clutter. Go to the place in your house that you are least satisfied with that's driving you crazy. Everybody's got it. Even the cleanest houses have the drawer. Clean it out. Even if you don't have the energy to clean the whole thing out, take out some of the things that are not serving and replace it with something beautiful. And if replacing it is too much energy, just clear out the clutter. 
I don't know exactly how it works because we're not privy to all the mysteries of the universe and how the divine works. We see through a glass darkly. But I do know that there is a connection between the external manifestation of our physical space and our spirits and souls. And so when we feel stuck, one of the easiest things to do is to clear our physical space, bring some order, get rid of a little bit of that chaos, and then we will find that the internal space gets rearranged as well. That's a great tip. I've got a couple of spots in my house (laughs) that I think are calling my name. And I do realize that the more I look at those places and just sit with the dissatisfaction instead of doing something with it, the more that is just an unhealthy distraction. The other thing I want to say about this, which may sound even weirder, is you can go to that space and have a conversation with that space. You can say, hey, corner of my bedroom that has the Christmas wrapping paper in it and other things collecting in this corner. What is it that you would like for me to do first today? What is it that I can let go of? What is it that you would like for me to do for you today? What I'm afraid of is that we're going to get directive and we're going to get accomplishment oriented and we're going to clean that space. Mm -mm -mm -mm. It's, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? How can I help you be a better corner of my bedroom? A gentle approach. Yes, gentle. Always gentle. I know that for a long time, rest was something that I struggled with. I knew from scripture is one of the Ten Commandments that we take a day to rest every week. That seemed like a foreign idea to me for a very long time. And then it started to catch up with me. I was a young mother and a priest. So working and carrying on with home life, it just seemed like work bled into every single day that there was no opportunity for me to take a break and get away. And so there came a point in my life where I just realized that if I was going to be able to continue to do what I needed to do, I needed to pay a little bit more attention to rest. I'm saying something a little bit different from what you've said, but I think it's all about the balance. There's need for activity sometimes to get ourselves unstuck. But there's also need for this rest, for reserving some time to say, I don't need to do anything today. I just need to be. And what I've found is actually, if I have a sort of discipline to do that, to maintain a Sabbath day every week, what that means is I have to be really intentional. I have to work every day enough so that I've got the one day that I can just be. It's a challenging balance, and I'll tell you, I don't succeed at it every week, but I am more intentional about it these days. Do you have any tips for people about how to maintain balance in their lives? I wish, man. I'm not like one of those experts. Actually, I say I'm not an expert on balance, but I really get the idea of having to take a rest. And I think that we perceive that our rest is going to feel good. I think that we've put this extra pressure on like, I'm on a Sabbath rest, it's going to feel good. 
I find that when I stop, it's painful at first. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with myself. All those dirty pain thoughts begin to occupy my mind. I feel like, well, what do other people do with Sabbath? And I'm not a very good Sabbath rester. And it's very uncomfortable sometimes. And yet, even if I get to say I'm not doing anything today, invariably it works better. I get that. I've been thinking about this because I think I wrote that I'm not a disciplined person, you know, that I don't do this discipline thing, that I'm more of a ball going like the camp and then collapse on the couch and can't even order pizza. That does tend to be the way that my life works. Like I go, 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 go because I'm so enthusiastic and then I collapse. And that's true, I think, of one rhythm. And some people have that rhythm. Other people that I know are so organized. And I really think I missed that line before I got born. Like I wanted to get some of that and it didn't get into my life. They know what they're doing all the time. And I look at them and I think, oh, if I could just be you, my life would be so much easier. But that's not who I am. So I think all of us need to really reckon with the fact that we are who we are. So the balance that I may want to model your balance, but if I try to model your balance and it doesn't work for me and it makes me miserable, then it's not going to work. Rest until you're rested, then work, then work until you're tired and then rest. My father used to say to me that as a little kid, I didn't know when to go to bed. I would get up and I'd be going and going and going and I'd be so tired and I was working on some things that I was doing and he'd say, honey, if you're tired, go to bed. And I'm like, oh, but I don't want to miss anything, right? So that's part of who I am and part of my challenge for rest. You may have a different challenge. You know, you may be completely hyper responsible and feel like if I don't get these bills paid today, tomorrow the mail's going to come and I'm going to, I don't know. Like everybody's got their own challenge when it comes to that. But I also have to say that being liturgical gives us the scaffolding again, gives us the function, the structure that we need. It just does. If we just follow the liturgical year, there are seasons of rest and seasons of celebration. If we follow the daily office within that, if we follow the weekly, it's all there and we don't have to invent it and it will help us and hold us too. Having that prayer life, it's a kind of scaffolding that will teach us if we just choose to show up. Show up. We just show up. And we don't do it because it feels good. It's not like, oh, I feel like this, so I'm going to rest. It's like, I show up. Then the rest gets built in because you've shown up. So growing up, I was a dancer and I learned a little bit about practicing balance from ballet. Anybody who's ever taken dance lessons can tell you this. Your teacher will train you to look for balance from your core. So the the lesson that my teachers always gave me is to imagine a string that starts around your belly button inside your body. And there's sort of a pressure that helps pull you up. The string is taut, in other words, and it leads from that belly button up through your spine, up through your neck, up through your head and out the top of your head. And it just helps to raise you up. That's where your balance starts. Then though, your legs have to get involved. Your feet have to get involved. And when you start to dance, you have to have balance, which actually is really active. A lot of people, I think they hear the word balance and life balance, and it seems like sort of a serene approach to life. 
dancers may look serene, but their muscles are working so hard. You can actually learn about this. You can try it at home by standing on one foot, maybe, or just going up on your toes and notice how active your feet are. Your muscles are constantly going back and forth Mm -hmm. in order to keep you upright. So I think the lesson that I take from that is that this life balance that we seek requires actually a lot of attention. We have to come back to it constantly because life is always throwing something new at us. At first, when we start learning to practice balance in our lives, we're just trying not to fall down. But as you grow stronger, you're becoming more graceful as you do it. Right. And you can do more complicated steps because you've built your core muscles and you've gotten a sense of how it works together and how you can move while you're still in balance. And absolutely. So Marna, what are you working on right now to help you stay strong and healthy and balanced during this season? I'll tell you what I'm continuing to do and then what I also doing. For over 30 years, I've had a practice that nobody gets the first hour and a half of my day. I get the first hour and a half of my day. In that hour and a half, God and I have worked together over the years as to what that needs to look like. Often includes some writing. It often includes meditation and prayer. It often includes some kind of reading. But the silence for me has to happen. I am not a good person to be around if I don't have my hour and a half in the morning. I have to have it. I don't even look at news. I don't do anything. No to-do lists, anything. So that is the building of my core. I constantly have to build my core strength. And that's where it comes from. It's interesting how during the day something will happen that has thrown me off balance. We're both rectors of churches and things can hit us out of the blue and like a storm. And what I notice is that During that time, I can reconnect with the morning sense. I can go back there because it's a muscle memory. It's a soul memory. Julia Cameron, who wrote all the books on creativity, The Artist Way, and all of that, she suggests this practice of the morning pages. Morning pages are three pages of longhand. It depends on how big you write. You got to take that guideline. But it's three pages of just writing what I call the brain dump, whatever you want to write about. And you don't look at it. You don't analyze it. You don't. It's just getting it out in the morning. Three pages, three pages, three pages. And that is a really magic routine for people that are looking looking for a place to start for building some scaffolding. And we also mentioned the liturgical flow. The daily office is a great thing to do. There's so many daily meditation books. So I guess obviously I'm talking about getting in touch with God, with the other, with the divine as one of the main things that I do. The other thing that I'm doing right now is I'm gardening obsessively. I love my garden. When my hands are in the dirt or I'm building a rock wall or something, hiking, like having to be outside is huge for me. And that's really helping build my core is is helping me stay balanced. I think the other thing that's making me stay balanced is pursuing laughter. I live with teenage boys, so I have a lot to laugh about every day. I'm not living alone, so it's really easy for me to find laughter. But for me, that's part of my discipline, is to find something to laugh about and be joyful about, a joke or whatever. Like I said, usually my children do something and I just go, wow, that was, that, whoa.
So what do you do, Lorna, when you fail? Or do you? Yeah, I'm really good at failing. I am am so good at failing, people. Mary, you've seen some of my stunning fails. I don't know about that. I have all these great ideas and they never come to be. And I tend to do them out in the world. So, oh God, there she goes again. It's one of my special magic powers. When I fail and it hurts, when I fail and I feel what Brene Brown talks about in terms of shame and embarrassment and fear... I do what Susan Sim Smith taught me years ago. I give myself permission to call three friends. Like I can talk about it three times. I talk about it. I call people. I tell them what happened. That's our whole spiritual practice of confession. I say I really failed. And anybody who's a parent knows we need that so badly with our children because we don't do it right a lot. That's the place where I mostly call my people and say, I really feel like I have failed at this. And I feel the feelings. I let myself feel all the feelings to feel disappointed in things. Recently this year, I launched that website for my life coach practice and I put out these courses and nobody signed up. Nobody. And I thought, well, that's disappointing. And I let myself feel all those feelings and I called my people, I called my coaching partner, all of that stuff. And it was really embarrassing. Like you put something out in public and nobody wants to dance. But now over the months as it's gone by, I ended up doing a lovely class with a very small group of people that was exactly perfect. And now I have this place that people can go to that they don't have to sign up for a class, but they can get some of the things that I've already created. It wasn't a failure, but it felt badly. You know, it felt, ooh, I don't feel so great about this. Okay, all right. So I'd had my feelings and then the next day went on and did the next thing. I throw a lot of spaghetti up against the wall. So it helps to have a lot of things going on at the same time too. Well, and it sounds like you discovered how God would redeem that circumstance, which is something we all have to have our eyes open to as well. When things don't go the way we expect, when things go badly, To me, it's always just a sign that we need to pay attention to what God is doing because God will take whatever this is and bring something good out of it. And sometimes we fail badly. The Mm -hmm. hardest failures, I think, are the relational failures because when we've hurt someone that we didn't want to hurt, when we have been unconscious and have made people feel less than who they are and have put burdens inside of them. That's the hardest failure. And that's the work of self-forgiveness and reconciliation and all of that. But what are we going to do? Stop being in relationship? No. I think those are the harder failures, but it still works. Calling three people and feeling my feelings and then doing the next thing, asking for forgiveness, do the work of reconciliation. So how do you know when you've done well, like when you've lived a balanced day or a balanced week, or you've achieved that thing that you're hoping for? (laughs) If I haven't broken my arm because I'm moving so fast that I fall down the front steps, that's a really good sign. Uh Yeah, I I do. I'm not banging into walls. My litmus test is really, how is life going on around me? A couple of weeks ago, I had the busiest week. You know how we talked before we got on about our workloads are interesting and we can't really <laughs> put it in and all that. And my house, it always looks like the kind of week that I've had. Mm-hmm. It was crazy in that house. You know, I thought this looks like it was Holy Week last week. <laughs> <laughs> 
this all about? So I can tell if it gets totally out of control in my house, that's an indication to me that, huh, I may be a little out of balance here. The mm-hmm. other thing is because I have children, if I find myself falling into the screaming memes, something small happens and I blow up at them, like, I have to go to a timeout. Like, that's just an indication that I'm yeah. out of balance. Mom needs a timeout. Yeah. Right. <laughs> We have those moments. (laughs) I think the trickiness of a balanced life is that we don't notice when we have it. We notice when we don't. So when we have it, it feels normal and easy. Like I imagine when you're in shape as a dancer and you can do that beautiful movement and it feels, yes, you're using your body, but you can do it. It's easy, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have an injury or you haven't practiced for a while or your core strength has gone away, that same movement isn't going to be easy. Brings us back to a life of practice. All we can ever do is just try and go back to what we know to be good and do it some more. Go back to the things that we know we can work on and work on that some more. Ask for help a lot. We haven't talked about that a lot, but ask for help. We don't ask for help a lot. People that exercise regularly often have exercise partners. People who write regularly often have writer's groups. People who are very conscious about their parenting often have parenting partners or people they can talk to. This rugged individualism that we have as part of the ethos of our culture is not serving us. And so let's ask for help. Let's admit that we don't know what we're doing, that we're bozos on the bus. And that, Mary, is why I love coaching. Coaching is not therapy. Coaching is not trying to undo big knots. Coaching is saying, I don't really know how to pursue my creativity. So is there something you could tell me about that? Mm -hmm. And there are. There's actually some things that are just very basic. We've gone over them today. So let's ask for help. Yes. Let's go back to what you reminded us before, which is to take care of the simple things, our body and our mind, to take care of our relationships, make sure our connections with others are life-giving and good, to maintain the connections and not let them slip away, and always to give ourselves permission to pursue what brings us joy. And if you're not sure what that is, Maybe ask for some help from somebody who loves you, who can reflect back to you what you're good at, what you're passionate about, what makes you laugh. So it does bring us back to joy. And that is the gift that Jesus came to give us. As he said in John 15, 11, I have said these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Marna, thank you so much for being with us today. I feel like my joy is complete today. How about yours? Oh, mine too. It was great. Thanks, Good. Sir. What a great conversation. Let's go to camp again sometime, huh? I would love to do that again. So much fun. So now to our listeners, thank you all so much for joining us. Sometime in the near future, I want to do an episode that is all about your questions. What are you curious about? What's on your mind? Please send your questions to me at mbano at stmargaretschurch.org. Please do listen again next time, and remember that RJOY is not complete without you. This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Bano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer.